We're going to do some Q&A this morning. It's going to be a little different. Um, we're going to have a special guest, and I'm going to allow you to text in a question to the special guest. So uh, take that number down. You should have that number in your contacts anyway, so that you can text a question in to our special guest, and that'll be fun. Uh, we're continuing our series, Bless. Uh, why bless? Well, if we go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we see that God's way of restoring and um, bringing the healing that this creation needs is primarily through the act of blessing this world. Case in point, he calls a man named Je- uh, uh, Abraham, and he promises something to Abraham. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read this promise to Abraham together. Please stand with me. Let's read. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You may be seated. Just so you know, that's one of the big, the big verses. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, that's huge for understanding the grand story of the Bible. Now, how in the world is that possible? How can uh, every person on the face of the planet be blessed through one person? Well, as we looked at last week, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, and out of the line of Judah came the Lion of Judah, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy, the promise given to Abraham. We, the church, are part of the body of Christ. So we have been blessed to be part of God's blessing. And this campaign, this blessed campaign is all about five missional practices that all of us can participate with God in simply being a part of the blessing and pointing people to the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we started with the B, begin with prayer, and we talked about how every day we should be praying for divine appointments. We should be praying, Lord, help me, uh, use me today to be a part of the blessing. Point me to people. Help me see open doors and open windows so I can be a part of your blessing this world. Before we go any further in this message, I think we should begin with prayer. So let's pray. Holy God, we recognize that you are present. We recognize that you love us more than we could ever love ourselves. This is what your word teaches us. We recognize that you are good. And because you're good and because you love us, we can trust you. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, open our eyes to how we might more deeply enjoy and with great peace trust you and be a part of the promise given to Abraham through Christ, through the body of Christ, the church. In your name we pray. Amen. So. I want to introduce you to Stuart. Stuart's not here. Stuart and I went to college together. Stuart was one of my best friends. In fact, all throughout college, he was my best friend. And Stuart and I uh, hung out quite a bit. And um, he actually 
uh, ended up very important in my life. He's one of my favorite people in the world. That first semester of college, Stuart and I are riding around in his truck, and uh, we're getting to know each other. And this is what happens when you get to know each other. You begin to open up and share a bit of your story with each other. And so uh, Stuart begins to open up and share a bit of his story with me. And uh, it's, in my mind, an opportunity suddenly. I think, I think God might be giving me an opportunity here to uh, share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with Stuart. So Stuart's opening up, and I begin to pray. I pray, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and uh, Lord, you know, help, help me, help Stuart, et cetera, et cetera. And um, now, in hindsight, as I look back on that time, um, as I'm praying, I believe it might very well be possible that Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and all the angels in heaven were saying, Brad, please stop talking. Stuart's talking right now, and you actually should be listening to him because he's saying important things. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with Stuart. So I interrupt Stuart, and I tell him, you know, Stuart, I think what you need is you need Jesus. I think Jesus is the answer to all of your problems. And the good news is he died for your sins. And if you simply reach out to him in faith, you can find peace and restoration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Stuart replies to me, you know, Brad, um, I don't think I'm ready to do that right now. My response to Stuart, I get ticked. Because, well, I literally said to him, how can you say no to this? This is a free gift. How can you say no to a free gift? And I literally say, all you have to do is pray. Just say the prayer. Well, it gets so bad that Stuart says to me, you know, Brad, I don't think we should talk about this anymore. And I clam up. I'm like, fine. We drive back to my place. He's going to drive me out. We drive back to my place in silence. And I get out of the car mad at him, and I'm sure he drove home a bit frustrated that he had opened up to me about these things. What's the second missional practice of bless? It is the L. Listen with care. Listen with, with care. Quick question for you. When you're having a conversation, do you spend more time speaking and or thinking about what you're going to say next than you do listening? Maybe you've heard the adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The book of Proverbs gives voice to this. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Who are those who speak before listening? They are those who bring folly and shame upon themselves. Now, some Christians, some good, well-meaning Christians, myself, has, I've been in this boat. There are times in our journey where we think, you know, all I need is biblical knowledge. And please hear me. Biblical knowledge is absolutely vital to sharing good news, to blessing other people. We don't understand the need for blessing until we understand the scriptures. However... If you don't let people know you care about them first, they're not going to be able to hear any truth 
you might speak. In fact, we could even say the first act of love is listening. The first act of love is listening. And you might stop yourself and say, no, no, time out. I, I thought we were supposed to begin with prayer. The, the first act of love is listening. What is prayer? Prayer begins. The first way we love God is to listen to God. Seriously, if you're thinking this morning, how do I love God more? You listen to him more through prayer, through his word. And of course, the act of loving another is exactly the same thing. If you're going to love another person well, your first act of loving them well is to listen to them, is to listen to others. The two greatest commandments, love God, love others. How do we begin the first steps in living that out? We listen to God and we listen to others. Now, what I'd like to do is get really, really practical. I'm going to give you uh, a very simple tool to help you learn how to listen. It's such a simple tool, I can't believe that you pay me to tell you this. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. You can laugh at that. Uh, it, it, you're going to walk out and you're going to go, that, wasn't, that guy's not that smart. Um, but trust me, if we don't get this part right, we really can't love others well. All right? So here's my simple, pragmatic way to begin this process. You cannot listen if you don't ask questions. Boom, I'm brilliant. No, I'm not. But, but this is the absolute truth. You cannot listen to another well if you don't ask questions as you're talking to people. Uh, why? Well, I'm going to give you three helpful values about uh, listening well. One, great questions value the whole person, not just their value to your project. When we ask, hmm, how does that make you feel? What we are saying to the other person is, I value how you feel. When we say, uh, huh, boy, how's this been uh, affecting your family? What we're saying to the other person is, wow, uh, I, I want you to know I, I really care about you and your family. When we say, uh, hmm, what do you think your next step might be? What we're saying is, I really value what happens to you? I value your future. And when we value the whole person, what we're actually valuing is a person who is made in the very image of God for whom Christ died. It's very important that we value the other person. One of the ways we show we value another person is we ask questions. Secondly, great questions encourage thought and reflection. Have you ever been asked, what in the world were you thinking? That's not the type of question I'm thinking of. <laughs> or maybe you've been asked, how could you do such a thing? No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. These are not great questions. These are questions that actually demean and devalue rather than elevate the other person. No, a great question would be draw the person, a, 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 a great question draws the other person up, not pushing them down. And I think I jumped to my, did I jump to my third? Yeah, thank you. All right. We're going back to two now. This is what happens when you get two services. <laughs> uh, 
Secondly, which is now thirdly, but secondly, if you're following along in your notes, great questions encourage thought and reflection. Yeah? Good. What did you learn from that experience? What do you feel God is saying to you? This This is one of my favorites. What do you think God might be saying to you through this? Or if you're talking to someone who's not a a believer, you can say, hmm, do you sense love in this situation? Where where do you see love in this situation? Because uh, if God is love and there is something loving in that situation, then that might be a first step for people recognizing, huh, there might be something big going on here that I need to pay attention to. Knowing what you know, what would you change in the future? Thought and reflection compels our people, our friends, to go deeper. If you think about it, a lot of people don't move through life stopping long enough to think about the deeper implications of all they're going through in their lives. And so good questions help point people to the, the, the deeper journey of life, the whys and what's true. All right. Now, that's just precursor to where I want to get now. What I want to do right now is I'm going to invite up a friend. This friend, uh, some of you know, some of you don't. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite this friend up, and my goal in this conversation is to do nothing but ask questions. So I'm going to invite him on up, give him a big round of applause. Big round of, that's a, come on. There you go. I'll get it. Now, you have a responsibility during this. You have to raise your hand if I, in this conversation, make a statement. All right? All I can do is ask questions. All right? What's your name, sir? My name is Van Voorhees. Van, where were you born? Strangely enough, I, w- I was born in Tripoli, Libya, but I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Van, would it be okay if people text in, texted in a question for you? Absolutely. All right. Uh, what did your parents do for a living? My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And my dad was a groundwater geologist working for the federal government. Would you describe uh, your parents when you were growing up as religious people? Not at all. Uh, how would you describe them? Their, their spirituality? I would say that they both had a lot of baggage when it came to spirituality. My mother was French, and she had an alcoholic mother and was growing up in post-World War I France, where half the marriage-age men were dead. It was a very dreary life, and I think the church became part of that dreariness for her, and she rejected it for her entire life. My dad, on the other hand, came from a family that was a long line going back of Methodist ministers. The eldest son always became the next minister for the next generation, That role fell to my dad, (laughs) but my dad rejected the role. And I think that was part of having a dad who was pretty heavy-handed and uh, 
not a very nurturing mom either, and you know, you kind of push all of their, their stuff aside, and Christianity got pushed as part of that. And what did, what, what did you think about Christianity when you were growing up? How, how did you feel about it? You know, I think I, I was a typical kid. You absorb what your parents say and do. And I got lots of negative messages about Christianity. Uh, my mother was not shy about telling me what idiots people were who, you know, professed this kind of stuff. Um, my dad actually uh, called the, the elementary school where I was going after the, there was a big Supreme Court ruling about church, separation of church and state when I was in elementary school, and I had a teacher who was trying to pray in our classroom and, and have us sing what we would call biblical Christmas carols during the holiday season, and dad was on the phone to the, to the school, you know, complaining about that, and you know, telling me all about this, and, you know, I thought just what any kid would think. This is, this makes perfect sense, and, you know, my parents are correct, and, and this is what I believe, too. Would you, when you were a young person, um, do you recall uh, experiences with God at all? Uh, do you recall um, questioning crying out to God at all when you were a kid? No, not at all. I, uh, part of the problem, I think, was that, you know, my, my mom had left her family behind in France. My dad's family was from Ohio. And we're growing up in Atlanta. We don't, there's no family around. They didn't have a lot of friends. And, you know, so I lived in a very insular kind of home where there's not other influences, you know, other, an uncle or, you know, friends of the family who could, you know, mentor me, show me another way of thinking. So, you know, that's the environment that I absorbed. When you were in high school, uh, how would you, let's say we were at the, the uh, cafeteria table together and I brought up uh, my faith and asked you about whether you were a Christian, what, what do you think you would have said to me at that time? I, I would have absolutely told you that I was not a Christian, although <clears throat> there, there were some interesting moments along the way. And late in high school, I'm reading Dostoevsky, if you know it, the brothers Karamazov, the Grand Inquisitor, you know, Jesus is, is harangued by the, a pope-type figure of, of the church about how he misled humanity and asked too much of us and and Jesus never responds to the whole thing, but at the end, he, he kisses the Grand Inquisitor. You know, a, an act of love, you know, to someone who's betrayed the whole mission of Jesus. And I, I remember, as a non-believer, being moved by that. Hmm. It, so it, did, it didn't make any sense in the larger scheme of things for me, and yet, looking back, hmm. there were moments. <clears throat> and Okay, and uh, first of all, uh, how old were you when, when you read the Brothers Karamazov? <laughs> I, was, I was a senior in high school. Uh, ben, you went on to college. What did you study? History. Majored in history. And why? You know, that, that's a good question. I, I think that... I didn't have a lot of influences in my life. 
that, you know, or, well, I had influences, but I didn't have people who were trying to guide me and show me things to nurture me and help me understand things more deeply. And I, I think kind of by, well, maybe inevitably, I kind of graduated to looking at the past hmm. you know, as a source of wisdom and guidance, hmm. and history became a passion. And, and how, when you were in college, uh, how would you define what is true and meaningful? You know, I, I would say during my college years that I, I uh, was pretty influenced by the existential thinkers who would tell us that there is no absolute meaning, there is no absolute truth, that each of us has the, the burden of freedom to find what is meaningful for us, what is true for us, and we have to recreate that, that meaning every day. That's the existential project, and that, that's how I would approach life at that time in my life. And so what was meaningful for you could be not meaningful for me. Correct. And what is true for you didn't have to be true for me. Correct. Would you, um, how would you have defined what is uh, good and what is evil? I would say that I understood those concepts by applying reason. Okay. Is it reasonable? This thing that you're doing, that I see you doing, Brad, that, that looks self-destructive, is that, is that really reasonable? You know, or this thing that you're doing that's destructive of, of other people or, or property, is that, is that reasonable? It does not seem to be reasonable. You know? That would be the, the guiding light for me. You know, as a lawyer, we, we rely on reasonableness a lot, a reasonable person standard you know, for liability. You know? So I didn't just dream this one up. <laughs> so was... Um, if I decided to uh, destroy my neighbor, you would say that was unreasonable f for me to do so? Yes. But what if I just, could it be meaningful for me? Through your, through your perspective, it could be meaningful, but <clears throat> through a larger perspective, say, well, perspective of the law. We, we can't have folks like you going around destroying other people. That's not reasonable. Society would be in chaos. So, you know, that's the, the law is the collective wisdom of reasonableness, if you will. So something can be illegal but meaningful to the individual? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, as you're moving through uh, uh, life, uh, you have a family, you have children. How did you bring them up in this existential worldview? What did that look like? Well, that's where things got complicated because I wasn't solely in charge of my two children. I had a partner who was my first wife. And she had been raised in a Catholic household and we had a, her family in town. And although she wasn't much of a of a person to go to church, 
And although in the Catholic family, much as I love them, looking back, I never heard the name Jesus, you know, invoked in any kind of, you know, difficult situation over the 10 years I was with the family. But when kids showed up, she thought that we needed to raise them in a church, and the church she knew was the Catholic church. And, of course, this, the tensions over the kids was a big part of the failure of our marriage. And I found myself in this weekly situation of having left my wife and having the kids on visitation, and now I got to get them back to her on Sunday, but getting back to her, then back to her, I meant taking them to the church where she wanted them to go. Okay? And on the way, of course, the kids want to hear my point of view about all this. Dad, does this make sense that we're going to church? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> nope, this, this is a bunch of crap. You know, I'm sorry this is happening to you. If I was in charge, if I had total power, this wouldn't be happening. I did all those bad things, absolutely. And, you know, all these years later, I got two adult kids, and now I'm on the other side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying, so... Trying to undo all that. I'm actually going to uh, look at the... Uh, Q&A here. I'm good. Um, is that a question? At that point in your life, how would you test for what, for a universal proof or absolute truth? I can't claim to have a magic formula for that at that age. You know, I think what we tend to do in that situation is go with a gut feeling and then try to rationalize it. Reasonableness, you know, tended to validate the gut feeling most of the time. Is that systematic? Is it, you know, persuasive? No. So there came a point where there were, uh, I mean, now you're sitting in front of a church that you uh, disagreed with in your youth. How... How do we get to this point right here? You know, I gave a talk on this about a year ago. Some of you may have heard it, but I, looking back, I would say that I, I was a rich man for that portion of my life, for about the first 50 years. Not that I had a lot of money, I didn't, but I had the ability to deal with the problems, solve the problems that came my way in life. I didn't need help from other people too much, and I didn't need the help of any god. And then, inevitably, a situation arose where the, suddenly my resources were not adequate to deal with my situation. I, was, I mar had married a, a second wife, who I'm still married to and very happy with. She's a wonderful woman, but Another woman came into my life and all of a sudden became, a, you know, a, an obsession for me, a, tempta a terrible temptation for me. And I s saw myself struggling against that, but going further and further out on the limb to the point that I thought to myself, I can't do this. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can turn back. And... In that moment, I was fortunate enough to have a very good friend who is actually in the congregation here today, who 
I didn't tell him exactly what was happening, but I kind of gave him a philosophical version of it. And he's a smart guy. He probably put two and two together. And, and he said something startling to me. He said, Van, well, you know, everything is permitted to you, Van, because you don't believe in God. Like, wow. You know, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but as I sat with that and, and mulled it over, I, you know, all my Dostoevsky reading came back, and I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. You know, everything is permitted to me because, in effect, I'm the God of my own life. And that was a turning point for me. And I, I realized I could not be the God of my own life and have a life that made any sense, any, anything reasonable, anything I could be proud of to, with my kids or anything I could look in the mirror about. And <coughs> if you heard my story last year, I... I was out walking the dog when the epiphany came. Um, the, the actor, Buddy Epson, who played the Jed Clampett role in the Beverly Hillbillies had died and I'd read a, an obituary of his. And the, uh, and the obituary talked about, you know, Jed Clampett for all of his goofiness, you know, and that strange hillbilly story, you know, actually was a pretty strong moral force among those characters. You know, crazy granny with her shotgun wanting to to shoot people, and Jethro wanting to lose all their money every week, and Mr. Drysdale trying to take their money. Some, and all this chaos swirling around all these folks that at the center of it all is Jed Clampett, this, this plain-spoken, homespun, nothing-fancy guy who loves these people and somehow resolves the chaos week after week. And that... As I mulled all this over, it seemed to me, if there was a God, that's what the God would look like. That's what the God would be like. And I did the unthinkable and looked up in the sky and started talking to Jed Clampett. <laughs> and I, just, I poured it all out. For those of you younger than Van and me, <laughs> this is a television show. You can find it on Hulu. <laughs> that was a statement, sorry. Continue. I, I poured it all out, and, I, and for the first time in a while, I felt some relief just through what we now would call confession of sin, right? And, and I did it again, and I did it again, and it felt good, and I seemed to be getting something back. It was hard to put my finger on it, but relief, you know, a, a sense of I, could, I can maybe get through this. And I, I confessed the whole thing to my wife and begged her to forgive me, and thank God she did. And, you know, I mean, looking back, when, when, you, when you're learning to ride a bicycle, <laughs> what do you do? You put training wheels on it, right? You don't need them forever. And with all the, the bad-mouthing of Jesus and, and all the negativity around Christianity that I'd, I'd spent uh, 50 years with, Looking back, I needed some training wheels on the whole concept of Jesus Christ mm. to get me through that moment toward something enduring. And, of course, Jed Clampett, you know, gave way to Jesus Christ mm. and has been, you know, Jesus Christ for me ever since. 
How old were you? Uh, what year was it when you had that encounter, do you think? 2004. Okay. So for 14 years, what has, how has God grown you in this time? I, recognizing we could talk a yeah, long time uh, about that, but. You know, I, I guess what, what is, is always evident for me is that I'm a broken person. I'm, I'm in, a, in need of perpetual healing and, and recovery. <laughs> and when I look at our world and I look at the people I love and, uh, and everybody, I, I see a, a kind of brokenness there too, you know? And uh, when, I, when I look at the world we live in now and, and our, our, our state, our country, our world, I, I just see lots and lots of brokenness and division and bitterness. And my understanding of, of what Jesus is all about is, is a healing is a seeing everybody as through the lens of, of what I've borrowed from another thinker, kinship. That we are all in this together. We are all God's children. And, and a healing is possible through God's love and our love radi radiating out through each other, the love of God. And I guess that, that is the vision of Christianity that animates me, that, you know, gives me hope even during these difficult times, that, you know, allows me to, to try to heal divisions with, with people around me and, and, and establish relationships that, you know, are what this world is all about, I believe. I'm going to ask you a question about Alpha. Um, that's a statement, but the question is... Um, how did, how, so Alpha, uh, maybe you could share just a little bit about what Alpha is, but also how is listening important in Alpha? Okay. <clears throat> I love Alpha. Alpha is, is an opportunity for people who have huge differences to come together. Some of them may be Christians, some of them may not. There may not be any Christians in the group. I don't know. That's part of the exciting thing, Right. It's people from all walks of life, different ages, you know, different politics. Everything can be different. Okay? And we're all there to share something that's bigger, higher, deeper than anything that divides us. And that is, you know, something eternal, something, you know, supremely high. Okay? To talk about the issues of, of, that are of ultimate importance, you know, and... Yes, we do it through a Christian lens, but we're not there to, to browbeat or intimidate or, or persuade anybody. We're there to allow people to talk and to talk openly and honestly in a safe kind of environment. And when, when you do that, then people's stories start to come out. Okay? People start to share, and, and you feel the divisions start to melt before your very eyes. This person who, who you, don't, you disagree with on everything you feel tears in your eyes hearing the stories of, of them, you know, dealing with life's problems. And you, and you feel love going out from you to them. And you feel love coming back. Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable that, you know, you can feel love with these people that you disagree with. <laughs> and and I've, I've experienced it myself. Where else in our world right now is that happening? So... I view Alpha as sort of the spear point of the spear of Christianity, that this is something that's going to make a difference. And I, 
Of course I'm a salesman here, but I'm telling you, I believe it with my heart. You guys got to give this a try. It's life-changing, transforming. It's your faith in action. Man, man. that's good. Man. No, that's good. Van, can you help? What what act, what literally happens at Alpha? What's the, what's how's the evening go? Okay, it starts in a very humble, wonderful way. We eat together. Okay, you don't have to pay for it. That's a wonder, and it's wonderful food. You know, I'm a vegan. They've even got vegan food there. Okay? But for non-vegans, don't worry. There's plenty of regular food too. Okay, so we eat together for like half an hour, and it, while we're eating, we, inevitably, you're at a table usually with the same group of folks. And you get to know each other. You start talking. It's, it's superficial at first, of course. But over, what, 12 weeks or so, you get to know each other. Inevitably. As you get to know each other, you start to open up. Right? And you start to share the deeper stories. Okay? And that's the really wonderful stuff. And, and conversations occur that, you know, at times are, are kind of wonderfully therapeutic. You know? Not your typical everyday conversations, the deeper kind of conversations, the small group kind of conversations, okay? Without the commitment forever of being in a small group. It's just, you know, like a few months. So yeah. after dinner, And after what dinner, happens? then a video is shown, okay? It's usually about 20 minutes. It's on an issue of Christianity. Who is Jesus? You know, why, why should we read the Bible? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, does God still heal in this world? You know, big kind of topics. And, and you hear people, you know, in the video tell, telling stories, which, of course, encourages people to tell their stories, too. Okay? And these are often very moving kind of stories in these videos. So it kind of unlocks, you know, the, the deeper stories in all of the people who are watching the videos. And then when the video's over, you take a break, and then you come back, and you, and you talk about Thoughts and feelings that were, you know, elicited by the video. And that's, that's where the, the really rich kind of conversation occurs. And, and by the end of the 12 or 15 weeks, you feel a bond. You really do. Thanks, man. Um, the Alpha facilitator, is their goal is to do what I've just done, which is just ask questions. Um, there's some some specific three to four questions that one can ask. But uh, often, the alpha facilitator is, is just there to continue to ask questions and not answers. So people get to process together uh, the, the truth of what was shown in the video or what we believe to be true in Christianity. Uh, I, I, this is a shameless plug, as you can tell. Uh, Van has been a part of Alpha. Uh, I, I've spearheaded the starting of Alpha here at Faith Covenant Church. This fall, we're going to kick off Alpha on Wednesday, September 26th, and it's going to happen right downstairs here. And a heads up, you're going to get a faith update about this this week. Um, we can't move upstairs. We thought we could move upstairs mid-October. It's being pushed back to early November. And so, that being the case, uh, knowing that we had men's ministry and women's ministry and Alpha and youth ministry, uh, and that Alpha would be edifying for all those people, we are inviting all y'all on Wednesday nights to join us for Alpha. We're going to do men's, women's, youth, and all the rest of us are going to do Alpha together downstairs starting on September 26th. I invite you to come. Alpha is 
for spiritual skeptics, for new believers, for someone who needs, who, whose faith needs a jump start, for someone who would like to begin the journey of being in a small group here at Faith Covenant Church. It's also for all of you people who've been following Jesus for a long time and are looking for ways that you can begin to walk with another in their disciple journey with Jesus. So there's not a person really in this room that couldn't benefit from this journey. So I encourage you, Van and I encourage you to uh, sign up for Alpha. You can register online at faithcovenant.org. If you don't want to do that, you can just call the church office this week and you can register that way. Didn't Van do a great job? I, I Thank you, Van. I, I hope you'll get to know him. You know, it's, it's a great journey that we have in the church and simply learning each other's stories. And Van and I have gotten to know each other well, and it's so fun to see all that God has done in his life. Uh, and you all have similar stories. I'm going to ask you to stand. We've, we've accomplished what we need to accomplish today, I believe. And I'd like to give you a charge as we move from here. Uh, before you leave, if you have any prayer need, please come down front. There will be people down, people down here who would love to pray for you. Just a heads up, if you, if you congregate down here, it makes it a bit hard for the prayers. So uh, if you don't need prayer, maybe continue to move that way in this room especially. So here's your charge. Go now remembering what we have done here. Go remembering that you are a forgiven people, eternally loved, thoughtfully instructed, and creatively constructed, gratefully obedient, responding and responsible to the amazing love that God has poured out on you in this life. You, through Christ, will never be the same again. So move through here as changed people more in love with God and more in love with each other. Go in peace.